Hello, this is Dr. Beverly Wright, and thank you for listening to Tag Data Talk, sponsored by Emory Continuing Education and hosted by Dr. Beverly Wright. Tag Data Talk covers topics on the current state and future outlook of analytics and data science using an interview format with professionals and academics to discuss use cases, future trends, talent and skills, organizational structures, tool advancements, and other topics related to data science. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Dr. Beverly Wright, and thanks for joining Tag Data Talk. With us today, we have Dr. Joel Sokol, Professor and Director of the Master of Science in Analytics Program at Georgia Institute of Technology. And we're talking about true understanding versus prediction. Thanks for joining us, Joel. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Fantastic. Well, let's find out why are you so cool? Well, tell us about your background. Um, I'm not sure if it makes me cool, um, <laughs> but I've been interested in, in analytics and data science and optimization for a long time, even since I was a kid and those buzzwords were around. Um, this is my 20th year that I'm finishing up here at Georgia Tech. Oh, congratulations. Um, thanks. Wow. It, it's gone by really quick. Um, and I, I do a lot of research in, in applied analytics modeling and things like sports and healthcare and logistics and applied science. Very cool. And so you've been at Georgia Tech for 20 years. Were you somewhere before that? No, this is my first real job, actually. Wow. Very nice. And what's your PhD in? Uh, I have a PhD in operations research from MIT. That's a school I may have heard of here and there. (laughs) Not quite as cool as Georgia Tech. I'm kidding. Very, very good. Well, let's start off with um, understanding what we're even talking about. So you talked about the role of understanding versus prediction within the context of data science. So what do we mean by that? What do we mean by an understanding as opposed to just being able to predict a phenomenon? Maybe you can give us some examples. Sure. So um, prediction, we do a lot with with data science. There are all kinds of methods, um, things like regression, where where you can try to explain what's going on and and all the way to like deep neural networks and things like that, where it it really feels like a black box. You can't really explain how it's getting to the results, even if the predictions are really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And the better and better we get at building these predictive models, um, the more we tend to rely on them because they're very good and they can really take away from our, our curiosity about understanding what's going on. If we have a really good black box um, then, then we may not stop stop and think about what's actually going on here in real life that this model is picking up on with the data. Um, so, one of my favorite examples, um, which I actually got from someone who's not a technical person at all, he's a communications trainer, um, was a, an ancient naval battle, um, and I forget which one it was, but but one of the commanders planned the attack for just the when the tides would be just at the right height. Um, and of course, back then they had no idea about the moon and gravity and how, how those sorts of things control tides. All they knew was essentially, they didn't think about it this way, but it was essentially a regression model that when the moon is in a certain position and, and whatever, then the, the tides would be higher or lower. Um, and so they didn't have a real understanding of what was going on, but they did have a pretty good predictive model. Mm. Um, and that worked great for them. But if we want to, if we want to know more scientifically and be able to take that knowledge and extend it and go farther, we actually had to know what was going on behind it. Got it. Got it. So there's three things that you said I want us to unpack a little bit. 
One is you use the term better, and I want to talk about what you mean by that. Second is um, you talked about a black box, and I just want to make sure that we're um, communicating to our audience what we mean by that. And then third, you um, use the phrase if then to describe um, prediction. And so I want to talk about how that might be different from um, causality, because I think that's where we're going is understanding through causality as opposed to predicting that something is going to happen. So let's talk about better. You talked about like good models, like a really good model. What do we mean by that? Is that just higher diagnostics? Is that just like the equivalent of a high R squared? What do we look at? Yeah. So I guess what I mean by better is is more general, just a, a model that gives predictions that are closer to reality. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So then one might say, well, I would consider it better if it does a good job of answering a certain um, business question. So maybe maybe that's part of the distinction is it's better in the sense that, so for example, um, if you have a model that's really, really, really predictive, but it includes a lot of inputs that have nothing to actually do with the phenomenon you're predicting, would that be considered better than a model that say, fewer variables, but they make sense from a theoretical standpoint? What's your take on that? Uh, I guess it depends on the situation um, and and sort of how you're talking about better. Uh, so better in terms of use, then obviously the second model would be better. If you don't have the inputs you need, then it doesn't matter technically how good a, a prediction you can get out of it Got if it. you don't have that data to predict from. Right. Um, but sort of from a pure data science point of view, given this data coming in, how how closely do my predictions match reality coming out? Yeah. Um, then you might say the first model is better uh, if, gotcha. it, if its predictions are closer to what reality is got coming it. out I got on the it. other So the, maybe the better depends on how you're going to actually use this information. So if you work at a call center and you're trying to look at whether someone's going to churn or not, you know, um, if you're that representative on the phone and you see that this person has a high level of um, churn propensity and that's a very accurate model, then you might offer them like a lower rate or, or more goodies or something like that. If you're the operations person, on the other hand, in that same scenario, and you're trying to understand what changes can I make to my product offering, then maybe better is in the sense of do the inputs make sense? Like, does it help you? Does it help inform you to be able to serve that customer better? So I get what you're saying. It's it's a matter of how you plan to implement what you've learned. Yeah. And I think in that example, I would go even a little bit further and and say that if the model, even if, if the inputs don't seem to make sense, right. um, if that operations person can use the model to make a really good prediction about what might help. Right. Um, it's still beneficial. Then it's it's still beneficial, but he wouldn't really have that understanding. Right. Gotcha. Um, so in some ways, it's a trade-off. Like, how are you going to use it? If you're just going to use it purely to predict, then maybe it's one thing. But if you really want to understand the phenomenon, which I think we're seeing less of, and which I'm going to get into that black box in a second, um, then it, it becomes a little more challenging as far as like what is considered better. Yeah, exactly. And and the the pure prediction may be great in the short term, but in the long term, I think we're losing a lot by not having that understanding. Got it. Got it. So you mentioned um, a black box, and so tell us what you, what we mean. Like how how is this kind of thing happening where we don't understand necessarily what's going on? Like, is it because of this proverbial black box? Of which you speak. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So the the black box, um, just for anyone who may not be familiar with that term, um, is used uh, 
sort of in a, a situation where you put some inputs in and you get some outputs out and you don't have any visibility to what goes on in between to turn those inputs into outputs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, a lot of the the models that we're, we're getting better at making now um, are more of that black box type um, where, for example, we'll build an artificial neural network um, using some pretty basic principles and then just hand off the data to it and it comes out with results and we really don't have any visibility as to how it processed that data and what it did. Um, and and on the, the software side now, um, since more and more people want to use models like that because they're, they're often good predictive models, um, we're seeing more software that's designed for people who actually don't really know anyway much of the, the background data science to be able to just give it data, push a button, and and get some answer out, whether it's a good answer or not. Right, right. So there's this um, need for volume and speed of being able to produce models. And uh, the second thing I heard you say is the reliance on tools has gotten greater. So we're sort of just like go-go model, and I'm counting on the tool to do it the right way. And then I think the third thing that you sort of hinted about is maybe the problems have become a little bit more complex. Would you say that those are the things that are leading us down this path? I think all three of those are contributing. I think a a fourth contributor um, that isn't talked about as much, um, if if you remember like five, six years ago, there are all these predictions about how we were going to be right about now, um, a million and a half or so trained data scientists short in the United States. Right. Um, and we're not seeing, we're seeing a lot of job openings for our graduates, but not, not a million and a half job openings. And one of the things that I think is happening is that companies and organizations know that there's not enough trained talent out there. And so there's really a push to get this software that, that they think can take the place of someone who's trained, or at least partly take the place of someone who's trained. Right, right. So um, it's that citizen analyst, a citizen data scientist that we're trying to take someone that maybe is a, um, is a operations person, or they know supply chain, or they know marketing, and we're just trying to give them enough knowledge about the tool usage to say like, okay, well, you can kind of get through it. Yeah, exactly. And they, they still probably don't have the background to, to have a real understanding of when to use it, how to use it, how to interpret the results. Um, and so what we're seeing with the Master of Science in Analytics degree is about a third of our applicants already have analytics or data science or data analytics in their job title. Mm. Um, and so they've been given this role, they've been given the software, and now they're coming to us to learn really how to use it. I see. Okay. So there's this um, almost like a, a front of let me at least be able to produce something. And then the actual learning has to be maybe relying on the um, the actual individual contributor to an extent. Like, it's up to you to learn it, but we just need you to get through the motions. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, a lot of people um, from the, the managers on down might not even realize when they start that that, that learning is something that's important. And then they, they discover along the way. Well, and that brings us to our next point too, which is, um, why is that harmful? What are the implications? And I'm totally asking this as a, <laughs> as a <laughs> sort of devil's advocate, because I see it as very harmful myself, but 
what what kind of impl- implications are there for people that don't really get the black box, but they're they're still able. I mean, you got to admit they're still able to get through it, and they can still produce the models, and they do so in a, a fairly quick way. So what's the what's the big deal? So the problem is those models um, aren't always like we were talking about earlier on. Um, they're not always good models in the sense of being useful in business or or whatever other application they're looking at, even if the data science metrics would seem to show that they're good predictors. Um, and and so, so a good that, predictor doesn't necessarily mean it's meaningful. Like if it, if the inputs don't make sense or the way it's structured doesn't make sense, if they just sort of push the button, even if it's predictive, it should still kind of make sense. Right, and there there might be different causalities that they're not that they're not seeing or not thinking of, um, and and so the output doesn't really make sense, and using that output doesn't make sense and and can lead to negative results. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not unusual um, for me, like I've been in this field, you know, as you know, over 25 years. And it's not unusual for me to hear clients say things like, I want you to build a predictive model. And if one of the first questions that we tend to ask is, do you want it to predict or do you need it to explain? And a lot of times people think they just need prediction but then when you go and roll the sheets back, you find um, if you find a mess and you got to figure out like, OK, well, I really want it to make sense too. that explanatory. Do you find that sometimes it's an afterthought? Like, how do you plan for that in advance or how do you train students to plan for that in advance? So I think really um, the biggest the biggest thing for anyone who's doing this, whether they're students, whether they're professionals, um, is just to always keep that curiosity Um not to say I have a model that has really good quantitative metrics and seems to be a good predictor, um, so I'm done, we're going to use it. Um, but to, to keep that curiosity about what's going on, why is it going on. Um, one of the examples I like to use is if, if people like Newton or Einstein had, had access to these, these big complex neural network type models, um, then we might not have the understanding of gravity that oh, we do now. Yeah. Um, they might have just thrown all the data in, had these models spit out really good predictions of, of where different objects will be after forces are applied. Right. Um, and that's as far as we need to go. Yeah, um, I got you. Well, and one, I mean, on a much simpler example on that is um, I used to make my students compute standard deviation by hand which is very easy to do. But the problem that I started running into is when you say standard deviation, they didn't really, they weren't able to conceptualize what they were standardly deviating from (laughs) until they did it by hand. And then once they had that, they're like, oh, it's a measure of variation. So I totally get what you're saying. Um, So what, how do we solve for this? Like what's the macro level, uh, bigger picture? Like how do we, what do we do about this? So I think there's a couple of things. One is is just more training and having more trained people. Um, as you know, the the oldest analytics and data science programs out there educationally are are just a little over ten years old. Mm-hmm. Um, ours at Georgia Tech is is five, um, and our online program is only two years old. But but we're seeing more and more of them. And now with the the Georgia Tech online program that's at scale with thousands of students and others around the country that are are starting to follow, um, I think the capacity to train more people 
um, to to be curious and not just press that button and really understand um, what's going on underneath, both from a technical point of view and from a reality point of view, um, I think in the long term will be helpful. Um, in the short term, really just just the awareness, I think, is important for people to know that that just because they've they've pressed that button and gotten a result or or even if they have the technical understanding and built a, a model that seems to give predictions that are really, really close to reality, if they don't have a good understanding of what's going on behind them, um, that it, it's important to at least think about it and acknowledge that that lack of understanding, even if they don't have the time to to dig in and find out what's going on. Yes, got it. Cool, cool. Yeah, I know one thing. I um, when I was at Atlanta Gaslight a long time ago, <laughs> I was running some analysis with industrial customers, and it wasn't enough for me to just see the data and hear the salespeople talk about. It. I wanted to go to the plant, so I was trekking through the plants to learn more about their processes. So it sounds like you're saying that. Having that business knowledge and the understanding of the context um, is important. Another thing that you mentioned is the awareness level, like just being aware that it's possible to have a statistically accurate predictive model, but still not be as useful from an explanatory standpoint. Um, a third thing you mentioned was um, to the curiosity side of it, to be curious and to tap into that. Um, you also mentioned... You didn't really say it this way, but I think that what you're really saying is to critically, to critically evaluate your models. Like, don't just take it for what it's worth, but actually try to unpack it and say, like, okay, does this make sense? And does this make sense to look at it a little more critically? And then the last thing you mentioned is um, formal training. You know, don't um, don't think that you can just become a data scientist overnight because you know how to use a certain tool. So don't uh, discount the formal training. Make sure you focus on that. That's a good list. Yeah, that's <laughs> sounds easy, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, let's go do it all. <laughs> that's fantastic. What final piece of advice, uh, Dr. Sokol, would you give to someone who is trying to really understand versus predict in data science? So I think if I have to narrow it down to one, I'd probably still go back to two. Um, and And I'd say always keep that curiosity. Don't don't stop asking and thinking about why. Um, and second is to engage and trust the the application experts. Ah. The whatever your your data set is dealing with, um, you're the data scientist. You're the the expert in that field. You're probably not an expert in whatever field the the data is coming from. Um, so talk to those experts. They usually have a at least some good intuition about what's going on and and what's really driving things. Um, and if they don't, they'll at least have a better handle on what sort of questions you need to ask and, and what where you need to look to try to figure that out. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Dr. Joel Sokol for talking to us today about the true understanding versus prediction in data science. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Tag Data Talk, sponsored by Emory Continuing Education. I'm Dr. Beverly Wright. Have a great data set.